Welcome to the Gospel Clarity Podcast, where we explore how the story of Jesus changes everything. In order for the gospel to be central, it must be functional. I'm your host, Mark Smith. And my name is Andrew Arthur. Thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Welcome, everyone, to Gospel Clarity Podcast, Episode 2, Season 1. Andrew, it is good to see you. Hey, it's good to see you too, Mark. I'm glad you're back from your trip. Yes, and for those that you don't, for those of you who don't know, I went down to Kentucky to um, to go join a kids ministry cohort uh, with different kids ministers and directors from all around the country. It was a wonderful time, super awesome. But let me tell you something that's really interesting, something that's very awesome about this trip is that every meal I had. While I was down there, mm-hmm. I had I wanted it to be a specific Kentucky style dish. Yeah. So I had hot browns for the first time. Hot browns. Hot browns. What yeah. are hot browns? Hot browns is like this piece of toast. For anyone listening that's from Kentucky, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's this <laughs> piece of toast with a type of like meat, uh, bacon or like ham or something on top of that, and. Um, then this really like creamy sauce with almost like a chopped tomato on the top of it with yeah. a little bit of cilantro. Super good. It was really good. But <laughs> Sounds then, like toast. It's like toast, but it's, it's totally not toast. It actually, to me, was closer to like a biscuits and gravy than it was anything else. Yeah. But it's like a healthy biscuits and gravy. So Seattleites. So it didn't have any gravy? It didn't have any gravy. It had like almost like a hollandaise type of sauce to it. Gotcha. So anyway, I had a lot of that. So, Andrew, today, what are we going to be talking about? Uh, I think we're going to continue our conversation on how uh, cultivating gospel clarity is a communal, is a communal dynamic, is a communal project, so that we begin to explore more uh, this theme of the gospel in community. All right. So, Andrew, uh, this past Sunday, you had preached on a new series. Um, you're starting a new series in Ephesians. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Uh, yeah, we're walking through the book of Ephesians to um, look at God's design and purpose for His church. Uh, we believe that the church is where God's grace is made visible to the watching world. And when we talk about church, we're, uh, I'm talking about something very tangible, something very uh, local and touchable and, and visible. Real relationships with real people <clears throat> is in, in that dynamic is where God's grace shines brightly. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the beginning of your sermon... You had mentioned, you brought up John 13, verse 34, um, when Jesus is giving a new command to his disciples. Um, And for those of you who don't have your Bible with you here, let me just read it for you. You don't have to look it up. It says, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Let's think back to our last episode and to the episode that we're doing right now. Um, community, true community, we had talked about was can be pretty, fairly challenging. Mm-hmm. And I think in this command, we see Jesus giving us a, um, a clear reality that community is hard. And to love one another is going to be fairly difficult sometimes. Sure. Yeah, I love the emphasis on love one another. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it gets after that particular, specific 
um, individual disciples, that we are to love each other. And it's far easier to love people in general than it is to love a person in particular. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you see this uh, a lot in our lives where we uh, love to talk about humanity and loving humanity and we love to talk about people and loving people. But when the rubber meets the road and you find yourself, you know, in close proximity to a particular person whose personality may not mesh with yours, whose political persuasions may not jive with yours, whose worldview may clash with yours initially, um, just you're, you're, you're struggling, it seems, to, to love that particular, or it can be challenging to love that particular person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at the same time of saying that, we got to be aware that it's it's hard for others to love us too. So we don't want to be uh, one way on that. Everyone else has the problem. It is not me. <laughs> right. Right. I'm coming in. I'm doing this right. <laughs> Everyone else is the problem. So Andrew, in your sermon, you had said that we believe in the visible proclamation of the gospel. The gospel of God's redeeming grace must must also be seen. Uh, so we live that out. We live out that visible proclamation of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, now today, if we're talking about grace in context, could you unpack that for us a little bit? Yeah, so God's grace is made visible to the watching world. Uh, the visible proclamation of the gospel occurs uh, ordinarily in the relational connections shared by sinners saved by grace in the context of a local church where they become, uh, they become more than friends, they become a family. Mm-hmm. In Christ, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a powerful that's a powerful word. In some ways, a scandalous word for those who struggle with who've had a, a difficult family upbringing. Mm-hmm. So, for Jesus to say love one another, that gives us a bit of a challenge for those of us who maybe have been in a family that we would say, I think it'd be a lot easier to hang out with my friends and to love my <laughs> friends more sure. than my family, right? Right, because some of the problem, the, the hardship of family is that you don't get to choose who's a part of your family. You're born into a family, and you don't get to decide who else is there. <laughs> and in the church, when you're born again, you, in a sense, you are, in a real sense, you're born into a new family. Uh, the family of God, where you relate to the Creator, not just as your Creator, but as your Father. Jesus is your elder brother of sorts. And the Holy Spirit now indwells you, bearing witness, is swelling up within you so that you cry out to God, Abba, Father, and you know him in that way. But the reality is you're not the only one. And so you're born again into this new family, uh, but so are lots of other people. And you don't get to decide or choose who else else belongs to that family. Mm -hmm. And do you think that this might be one of the reasons why people do question the significance of the church? I think when they look at the church as an outlet to meet felt needs in their lives, where they say things like, well, I need friends, I need an outlet to serve my community, uh, and, and they, look, they can find those things elsewhere. Of course, the church certainly provides that. We are family, we, which there should be deep, rich friendships in the church. The church must be a blessing to the communities in which they live and serve. Uh, but the reality is they, people can find those outlets and through other means, especially in a city like Seattle. And so I think calling Christians into this familial dynamic, because it's such a robust theological reality that the scriptures communicate, I think we need to call Christians to live up to it and to lean into it. Um, Otherwise, uh, we're not going to experience, I think, the power of how relationships change us in many ways, or in, in many ways for the better. 
I'm, I'm referring to relationships that we don't necessarily choose or the relationships that we do not necessarily gravitate towards. Um, I remember being a part of a missional community where I was sitting in, our, in a living room. We were studying the scriptures together, and I looked across to my left, and I saw a, a woman who's a single mom, who a uh, single mom of three teenagers, and uh, she was borderline homeless. She was constantly under threat of eviction and, and having a hard time uh, getting jobs and keeping jobs. She just had a very rough, rough life. And then to my right, I noticed this man, a middle-aged man who worked in a in the legal profession in downtown Seattle. So you have so he he spends his weeks in a high rise, and yet here in the missional community and the family of the local church, both of these people have experienced God's grace redeeming them and refining them and drawing them into a family of faith. And so there in that in that environment, I had the opportunity and the privilege to hear this single mom speaking into the discipleship of this white-collar dad and this white-collar dad speaking into the discipleship of this single mom. And that synergy there is where yeah. I think we, where grace is made, vis- uh, where grace is made visible. Totally. Because there's really no other setting that these two people are going to interact with one another and that they're going to breathe life into each other outside of what God was doing in them in the context of a local church. Mm-hmm. And in those conversations, could you see the... Um, maybe the challenges that they had both that they were both working through was there any kind of visible element of maybe being uncomfortable of getting receiving advice from someone who is so unlike you mm-hmm. um, did you see any growth that had happened through that relationship you know I, I do not recall any awkwardness between them uh, I, I felt like it was a very natural and easy conversation because there were other disciples there. It wasn't like they were uh, meeting up for coffee by themselves and that mm-hmm. type of thing. It was they were in a room with other disciples and we were all uh, focused on the scriptures. And when you're focused on the scriptures, it's very hard for classifications and demographics to be divisive because mm-hmm. the scriptures puts everyone in the crosshairs of God's uh, assessment of life and of God's grace that is the only way for our lives to be redeemed and to be refined. And so when you're focused on the scriptures and you're thinking about the gospel, I don't think you're focused as much about those, um, about the differences or the barriers that divide people outside of the church. That's a really great picture of, yeah. yeah. Well, being in Christ is a very egalitarian atmosphere. Uh, this is what Paul is getting after in, in Galatians chapter, I believe at the end of chapter 2, just before he gets into chapter 3, where he says, There is neither male nor female, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave or free person. We're all one in Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel, that the gospel can bring different people together, and what divides them outside of Christ have it carries no weight in the kingdom of God. And so we check it at the door, and we check it at the outside of our community, and we press into real relationships that are based on Christ and that are fueled by grace. And when those relationships are firing as in, in challenging ways and encouraging ways in edifying ways, that's when God's grace is noticed. And that's mm-hmm. when people will, um, will recognize that there's something different about the people who follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you think about Paul, what was it like for Paul to show up as a new believer who met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and Peter and James and John are looking at the man who oversaw the murder of their friend Stephen. 
Like how 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 awkward can, do you think that that moment could have just in our? In I mean, our, even thinking our, about the emotional challenge of that mm-hmm. is it's pretty baffling, right? To have him walk in, and right. they're like, "What? <laughs> who is this? I know who this guy is." Right? You know, like some of them may have ducked and ran. You know, they may have right. been nervous. Like they may have sat and around in a prayer gathering and. And some might have prayed with one with one eye open because they weren't sure what this guy Paul was he infiltrating their community to to continue on the work that he had started in persecuting the church and uh, there was all there's all types of things uh, that we can dream about as it related to those initial interactions but the reality is Peter and James and John the apostles they uh, they received Paul they um, were brothers of Paul. Uh, much later on in their ministry together, they received correction from Paul. There are moments when Paul would correct Peter yeah. for lapsing back into some of his, uh, and allowing some of the uh, factors that divide people outside of Christ to come back into his um, relational interaction with people in the church. And, mm-hmm. and Paul called him on it and said, look, this isn't who we are anymore. Remember, this is this is not what we do. We're one people, Jew and Gentile alike. We're We're one family uh, mm-hmm. by faith in Christ. Yeah, and you can see in that picture of Paul coming in and talking with uh, Peter and the rest of them. That's where I think you see grace visible. You see grace in one end. You see it visible in the receiving of of Paul, mm-hmm. right? They accept him. They love him. They follow that command mm-hmm. to love and accept him. And then you also see it in um, grace made visible through um, Paul feeling received and being accepted because think about too if they if he was rejected in that moment mm-hmm. what if they said get out of here man I don't care about you you know you've okay. killed you know look at how many people that you were part of they're the murder and arrests mm-hmm. um, you know right that would have flown in the face of grace wouldn't it it, it would have yeah would have given him it would have probably probably made him. Uh, insecure in his faith. Does God really accept me? Did I really meet Jesus? Like, what was was I imagining that whole encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus? Mm-hmm. Like, what is what's 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 going on here? Right. And I think sometimes we can do that in the church. Yeah, it's a twofold thing. There's, I think that we need to take a position of the disciples, and we also need to take a position of Paul. Mm-hmm. If we want grace to be in context, we want that to be made visible. Right. We need to be. Yeah, this is such a beautiful picture of reconciliation when when enemies become friends and more than that when they become family and paul was an enemy of the church mm-hmm. and he was an enemy of peter and james and john they the the church was scattered from jerusalem in large part because of paul's aggression and yet he met jesus he shows up they embrace him and he um, and he is embraced and that's a powerful thing mm-hmm. okay so andrew can we think of a modern day like our time example of how um the church can make grace visible um, in, within the, within the um, framework of let's put ourselves in the position of the disciples. Mm-hmm. Who has to receive who, someone? Who, have to, who has to receive and accept someone. <laughs> There's a lot of examples I think we could draw from or we could create just with our own imagination. So the one that's on my mind this week, imagine, so earlier this week, New York passed a law legalizing abortion up to birth. It's an unprecedented measure. It's going to create lots of uh, issues and problems for lots of people. And of course, those of us who uh, believe that all life is created by God and is to be uh, preserved and promoted uh, and, and protected and 
given opportunities to flourish, it's a big deal. And so just imagine a situation where, let's say the, the state official who signed that law into, into approval. Let's say he, because uh, I mean, it's going far beyond Roe versus Wade. It's going far beyond uh, other abortion laws that exist in our country. Let's say they have a change of heart. Uh, they hear the gospel. They're convicted of their sin. They recognize kind of the carnage that that type of law can create and how it uh, kind of uh, just the various ways in which um, that particular kind of law puts us in the position of, of, of being God in so many situations of determining who lives and who dies and this, that, and the other. Uh, imagine he has a change of heart. He meets Jesus and then he shows up. He shows up in your gathering on Sunday. How do your people respond this guy's responsible for, or partially responsible for, a, for a measure that that many Christians would would view as as being immoral and out of line with the ethics of the kingdom of God and all that God, who created life and who knits us together in our mother's wombs, all that He stands for. And this man walks into the door of your uh, worship gathering on a Sunday, and he's repentant. He's believing. How does the church respond to him? Do they respond by holding him at arm's length? Do they respond by um, bashing him for the decision that he made in helping support a measure that, like the one that he did? Or do they embrace him? Do they um, forgive him? Do they seek to love him and see him grow up in his faith, recognizing that grace meets us in the context of various forms of rebellion and various forms of brokenness? And God's grace has met him in the context of his, just like it met the church in the context of theirs. And and seeing that commonality of grace breaking into our lives to redeem us and to change us and to bring us together in a loving community where we're for each other and not against each other. Um, I think how the church responds to that person has a lot of potential to make the grace of God visible. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some takeaways that we can uh, give to our listeners of mm-hmm. an encouragement and perhaps a challenge of how they can make grace visible in their church? Yeah, I would encourage Christians to remember that they don't get to pick and choose who becomes a part of the family of God. We don't self-select Christians. And even when we're looking for churches to get involved in, we have to be very careful that we're not, we're not being overly self-selective in the churches that we plug into and the communities that we identify with. We don't get to pick and choose who becomes a part of the family of God, and I think we must always keep that in mind. I think a second thing we need to be encouraged by is that the same grace that rescues me is the grace that is rescuing the other. And no matter what differences we have, that commonality is big enough and strong enough to hold us together and to bind us together in family and in deep, rich, spiritual friendship. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say you can't meet people in the same life stage that you're in at your church. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very encouraging to do that. And we are going to be drawn mm-hmm. to people that are in the same life stage as, as us. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the call of the gospel is more than that, right? It's not just saying find friends and find people who you can live life together with. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's saying that you don't have those people that you're living life together with don't have to be in the same life stage as you per, per se. Right, and I would say if if you're if the sum total uh, extent of your of your friendships and of your spiritual family um, 
if you're surrounded by people who are like you, you're not going to grow into the image of Jesus. Uh, I think we were, I think diversity is required Mm -hmm. to, uh, diversity of relationship is required for us to grow into the image of Christ and to be more like Jesus who we're told, um, who loved the world that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life and the world consists of a lots of different kinds of people and and the father's affections for all types of people are that that's to be reflected in the affections we have for the world for for people who surround us in the world that is mm-hmm. maybe one thing we can walk away from is to remember the command that Jesus gave to his disciples and apply that to our own lives to love one another And by doing so, we are making the gospel of grace visible in our church.